Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes. And this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is Drastic Times, three stories that ultimately call for drastic measures. Oscar Sagastume describes how, when faced with fight or flight, he chose a rarely utilized third option. Jeff Perica recounts how he was stuck in the middle of someone else's drunken and gastrointestinal nightmare, and I find myself randomly recognized by someone from my past and then promptly punished for a four-year-old crime I did not commit. But let's not dawdle. First up, Oscar Sagastume. Well, I had a pyro license, so... Yeah, so I wouldn't have gotten arrested. Um, and so that's where the story starts, with, uh, with a bad day uh, at my work. I worked at Universal Studios, and I had a pyro license, and I worked at the Waterworld show. Anyone familiar with the Waterworld show? Yes. Uh, so I had a day where I almost died. Uh, not on my bad decision, but some bad decisions on people, because people would show up to work hungover. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with explosives. You are. Not to do them drunk. Bad idea. Uh, and so people almost killed me, and I almost drowned. Um, and so I was having a really rough day and a friend of mine said, Hey, let's go out. Let's go out drinking, which is not a bad decision. It's a good decision. Um, <laughs> and I was like, let's great. But I was, I was really on edge. Cause I don't know if you guys have almost died. How many of you have almost died? Yeah. Just you, of course you, just you. Um, I have almost died quite a number of times, uh, at this job. Actually, I've got a few stories, by the way, Kevin, I've got a few stories of almost dying. Uh, <laughs> I've got a few stories of almost dying, and this was one of the days where I've almost died, and uh, uh, with a piece of pyro went off in front of me. It's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it right now. It's not important. It's not part of the story. Um, so we went to this bar, and it's one of these bars in North Hollywood that's at one of those like mini malls, you know, where it's got it's got no space. So it's basically a, a bar and like the space to walk. You know what I mean? It's got the entrance on one end, and it's got the bathrooms at the other end. So it's just basically a hallway bar. You know what I mean? You know those shitty bars that are everywhere in North Hollywood. And so I'm on edge. I'm not having a good day. Uh, this friend that took me out is not a good friend, you know, but I mean, he could tell he was a kind human being that was trying to reach out to me. So God bless him. And after this night, he never spoke to me again, by the way. Um, so there I am. I, I have one drink in me and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really stressed out. You know what I mean? I'm really tense and I'm not, I'm not having the best days. And this guy's trying to make me feel better. And I'm really appreciative of this guy. And this is kind of where the night took a turn. Uh, this guy comes up to me who's, who's obviously drunk, and he's a Hollywood douchebag, right? He's there with a bunch of friends. And he comes up to me, and he touches my stomach. And I don't know about you guys. None of you are overweight. But this is my special area. I don't want anyone touching my special area. He touches my stomach, and it was not the day to touch me there. You know, I grab his wrist, and I look into him, and I laid into him like I have never laid into someone before. I started with what he was wearing and I ended up with his ancestors, you know? <laughs> and I just, I really just, I said, fuck you and ship you wrote, your parents wrote in on. Just, what the fuck is wrong with you, you asshole? And then I like let go of him and I, I didn't realize how hard I was holding him. At, at the time, I was working out a lot. 
So I was really I was part of my job was bringing in like these half ton baskets. I mean, this is a pulley system, so I was like that wasn't like the Hulk or anything like that. So I was really strong, and I was I always never got my weight. So I like literally like twisted his arm and I threw him, and when I threw him, I dropped him on the floor, you know. And he looked up at me like like a prince, like I just slapped him in the face, you know what I mean? And I I looked back and I realized this is not going to end well for me. You know what I mean? And he looked back, and his boys were like, what's up? What's up? Because they're douchebags. So what's up? What's up, man? What are you going to do? And I'm like, fuck you. Like, he just went defensive, right? I just went defensive. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. And, like, his friends pulled him off, and they started, like, arguing with each other. And I'm sitting there going, what the fuck am I going to do? Because I can't. I've just made a horrible decision. I just picked a fight with a guy and four other guys. You know what I mean? I have this guy next to me, and he's like, he's like, he's not going to fight me. He doesn't know who the fuck I am. I mean, he's barely an acquaintance at this point. And at this point, he's like, I don't know who this guy is. He's speaking Spanish. He's like, no sé qué es. No, no qué voy a decir. You know, he, you know and, like, and like, he's like, he just looks at me, and he's like, you know what? This is why people don't like to hang out with you, Oscar, because you always start these things with people in bars. And I'm like, yeah, you've never spent time with me in a bar. How do you know this? <laughs> so I have this, I'm sitting there, right? And they're obviously getting ready to jump me and my friend. You know what I mean? And I've got to come up with something. I've got to come up with something big to get out of this fight. And I'm pretty good at talking my way out of arguments. I mean, that's kind of my thing. Obviously, I'm on stage talking about my feelings, which leads to therapy, which is a different story. We're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> so I have to think of something good. And so my, but my friend is yelling at me. He's literally just yelling at me. This, I wouldn't call him my friend because I don't talk to him anymore. But he's yelling at me about these things. He's like, you're crazy. You're fucking insane. And I'm like, that's it. <laughs> that's the ticket. And I, I, I go, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And he's like, what are you talking about? I goes, just look, you're probably never going to talk to me again, which he never did. You're probably never going to talk to me again, but just follow me out of the bar. He's like, what do you mean? Just follow me out of the bar because I, I got a way out of the bar. And, I, and so I, I turn around and I look at the guy that I just yelled at. I just said, hey, come here. And so he comes over and he goes, what are you going to do, fatty? What are you going to do? Right? He starts doing the whole douchebag thing because he's a real douchebag, by the way. This is typical douchebaggery, right? And his friends are like standing there like looking at me tough, like you know, puffing out their chest. And they're like, yeah, man, what are you going to do, man? What are you going to do? Let's do it. So go outside. Let's go outside. And I, I take a deep breath. I take a deep breath and I'm like, you know what? I like you. I like the smell of you. I want to mark you as my man. And while I'm, he's like, what are you talking about? And while I'm doing this, I unzip. I unzip my zipper. I'm not going to do the whole thing. And then I start to pee on him. I pee all over him. I don't know if you guys have ever peed on another human being. But people don't jump away. What they do is they just stand there in complete shock. And he just stands there and he's like... And he looks down... And he doesn't move. It's not until his friend goes, is he peeing on you? And then he runs away toward the bathroom. His other friend runs. And then the other guys just part like the Red Sea. And I walk out of there like a boss. Thank you. Next up, Jeff Perica. This story begins where most uh, late night Cinemax movies end. Uh, I woke in a... Just wait. Uh, I woke in a hotel room. Uh, surrounded by three women, peacefully sleeping. Uh, There were clothes scattered about on the floor. The scent of alcohol and other unique things clung to the air. And one single thought raced through my mind. Oh, sweet Jesus, was this a horrible decision? Here's why. 
Uh, two weeks prior, I, had, I was on a first date with one of these women, and it was going great. She was beautiful. Conversation was flowing. She had this wonderfully unique personality, and at the end of it, you know, it kind of came time for our first kiss. So I did that whole, hey, I'm coming in, headling. And she did that whole, yeah, all right, head tilt. And, you know, we had our first kiss. And uh, instead of grand fireworks or explosives, I suppose, uh, it was more like those shitty uh, sparklers. It just kind of fizzled out. Uh, but still, the next day I got a text from her, and she was like, uh, she had a great time, but was in desperate need of a wedding date, and I was her last option. Now, despite the lack of chemistry, I still was kind of optimistic about this situation, and I'm like, okay, I'll go with you, uh, which led to our second date. Uh, and the second date couldn't have gone any worse. Uh, the conversation was just stilted and awkward. Um, the wonderful, unique personality of hers became wonderfully annoying. And honestly, our second attempt at making out, it was basically the equivalent of white people dancing. We sure as, tr we sure as hell tried really hard, but there was absolutely no rhythm. So, uh, but I had already committed. So the next day, I'm like, fine. I find myself at our hotel room, picking her up. She opens the door up. She looks beautiful in her dress. Uh, but then she opens the door up further, and the, standing behind her is her sister, who's staying in our hotel room and doesn't have a date to the wedding. Now, both those facts she failed to mention to me. Uh, also, if you're wondering, well, why didn't she just go to the wedding with her sister? I, too, was wondering that. Hi. Fun fact about this hotel room, uh, it was a classy Motel 6, so we had uh, two beds, and then where there should have been a wall encasing the toilet, there was just a thin shower curtain covering a jacuzzi. Remember that. No. Uh, so we arrive at the, uh, at the reception, and she turns and looks to me, and she goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, uh, my parents are going to be sitting at our table. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. I get to meet the parents of the girl that I'm definitely going to be dumping in the next few days. Awesome. <laughs> and you know, weddings can be very romantic, and I didn't want to send any more mixed singles than I kind of already was, so I needed to kind of come up with a plan. And I came up with a plan that was so diabolical, so genius, <laughs> that Hans Gruber himself would have high-fived me. I was going to get her drunk, like Lindsay Lohan drunk. So I was just feeding her shot after shot, drink after drink. So much so, her sister came up to me and said, you know what, instead of going to the after party at the bar, can you just take her back to the hotel room? And I was like, yes, I can definitely do that. Success. My night was going to be coming to an end. We get back to the hotel room. She just kind of throws off her dress, stumbles into the bed, passes out. I'm like, all right, home free. I lay back, ready for sleep to take over, when all of a sudden I hear, bam, bam, bam. There's a knock at the door. I get up to investigate. I open the door, and there's her sister, like, cradling a Lou Ferrigno portion of Taco Bell. And she just kind of carries that inside. And behind her is a girl, her friend from the bar, who we're going to call Shots Girl. Now, Shots Girl, <laughs> I've never met before. She takes three steps inside, looks at me, takes off all her clothes, and, looks, and just goes... I'm drunk, bitches, oh. and I'm, I, it's just me. I don't know why it was plural. And then she sees <laughs> my date passed out on the bed. She jumps on my date, starts riding her like a wild Mustang trying to wake her up. And now a cool dude would have probably tried to swing some sort of menage a trois or four trois on this occasion. <laughs> I went with a different tact. Um, I played dead. Yeah, I went full possum mode and pretended to sleep. <laughs> So the two girls, they started eating their Taco Bell, and I don't know if you know this about Taco Bell, because they think I'm sleeping, mind you. Um, the thing about Taco Bell, it's like a stranger passing through the night, right? It doesn't really stay for long, 
And when it's ready to leave, it lets everyone know. And needless to say, that you mean I definitely found out that women have the same digestive system as us dudes. So it's around 2 a.m., and Shot's girl just starts bawling. Uh, apparently, her baby daddy, yeah, she had a baby daddy, shocking. Uh, her baby daddy was really angry with her, not talking to her, because uh, he called her a slut because she slept with his best friend. This goes on for about four hours. And you have to understand, I have not moved for four hours. I'm literally like a statue, and my arms are numb. My muscles are aching. Every fiber of my being just wanted to jump up and say, guess what? You slept with his best friend. That kind of technically makes you a slut. But... You don't do that when you're in possum mode. So I just laid there. <laughs> Finally, about 6 a.m. came around, and uh, they kind of hugged it out, as only girls do. The one girl was like, oh, you're the best. And the other one was like, no, you're like the greatest in the history of ever. And I hear something I haven't heard in a long time. It wasn't a bell. <laughs> it was silence. And it was glorious. But it also didn't last very long. Because Shot's girl, she wakes up. She walks over to the bathroom, where there's just that thin little oh, no. shower curtain. Yeah separating me from her, and she starts to cry again. Only this time, it's during Taco Bell's mass exodus of her system. And thanks to that shower curtain, it was all in Dolby Digital surround sound for me to hear. So another 30 minutes or so pass, and I've had it. And I'm still kind of reeling from the audible ear raping that I've just incurred throughout the evening. So I kind of get up, not wanting to wake the three women peacefully sleeping. I tiptoe around the scattering of clothes, I hold my breath so I don't have to take in the scent of alcohol and those other very, very unique things. And I do what I should have done from the very beginning. I ran as fast as humanly possible away. Thank you. <laughs> and finally, me, Kevin McGeehan. This coincidence is true. I find it so odd that this happened, but like I said, it is absolutely true. Right after college, I moved directly to Chicago with two friends, $1,000, and a dream of working at the legendary Second City in Chicago. Uh, The friends and the dream held firm, but the $1,000 was gone in an instant. I was hemorrhaging money, and I so desperately needed money, uh, and I needed a job. So my two roommate friends who I moved up there with already had jobs. They had transferred from our college town, Gainesville, Florida, and had gone to the now-defunct Circuit City where they sold stereos <laughs> and televisions. Uh, so out of desperation, they said, we can get you a job there. And I did not want to do this, but I needed a job badly, so I relented and just eventually agreed, fine, I'll go and I'll sell stereos. So I drove down to Circuit City, and I was going to a job interview that I was assured I was a shoe in Two friends who were employees that were already there were going to vouch for me. The other thing I had was that the manager who was going to be interviewing me, even though I did not know him, he also went to the University of Florida at the exact same time I did. This is the first time my alma mater was going to actually pay off for me. So I get down to Circuit City. I am escorted back to the break room where the manager is going to come in and interview me. He enters. I stand up to shake his hand. He looks at me, he has a bit of recognition in his eyes, and almost gleefully says, I thought I recognized your name. Now, I had no idea who this guy was. And he said, you don't remember me, do you? And uh, so very apologetically and as congenially as I could, oh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't. And he looked at me and said, well, 
I think it's safe to say that you're not getting the job. Then he sat me down at the break room table. He sat across from me, and he went on to explain how he knew me, and he was absolutely right. I did not get a job that day. (laughs) Four years earlier at the University of Florida, I was hanging out with my friend David in his dorm room at Hume Hall. At the time, it was the tail end of my fashion trend where I modeled everything I did after Johnny Depp's character of Officer Tom Hansen on 21 Jump Street. (laughs) So on the day that I was hanging out with David in his dorm room at Hume Hall, this was my outfit. Ripped jeans, a tattered t-shirt, a leather bracelet, two gold hoop earrings, awesome hair that I didn't feel like doing that morning, so I had it tied back in a masterful do-rag. So we're sitting in David's dorm room, and there's a knock on the door, and this guy from down the hall comes in, and he says, hey, man, I got some weed. I can't smoke it in my room. Can we smoke it in your room? David, very excited, says yes, and me, at the time, I was not a pot smoker at all, and I silently judged people who did. My, the 180s we make in our lives sometimes. (laughs) So... Those guys make all the preparations of what you do when you smoke in an enclosed area. They open a window, they wet a rag, and then put it underneath the door to make sure no smoke got out. And then the second they lit that joint, the place was just full of smoke. Within 15 seconds, there was a bang on the door. And all of us freaked out. I'm sitting over by the open window looking like a burnout, and these two guys are frozen. So all of us silently agree that we're going to have the ploy, we're not here. So then... We hear a key in the door, and then the RA enters, and he is furious. He cannot believe that this is happening, and he gets us all over into the corner. He says, uh, I am so pissed at you guys. I have to do so much paperwork now because of this. So he sits us down, he berates us, and then he eventually leaves to go get all the paperwork that is necessary. Now, the three of us get our story straight. And David decides that he is going to fall on the sword for all of us. So David takes all of the blame. After about an hour, myself and the other guy are released to go back. Our names are now in this, but David is the one who was doing it. Now, David had to deal with a lot of repercussions because of this. And I know this because he told me. He had to go to uh, a number of uh, hearings. He had to uh, deal with a bunch of essays that he had to write. And he had to deal with a bunch of stuff for a while. And like I said, I know this because David told me. Now, the RA had so much paperwork to do, and he really thought that I was the guilty one because I looked like I did. And the reason I know he thought this is because he told me as he sat in front of me four years later at the Circuit City break room, I said to him, please, I swear to you, I was not smoking pot that day. I can assure you, you just have remembered this in a certain way. Please, I need this job. I am so desperate for money. Let me have this job. And he looked at me and he considered it for one second because his next question was, could you pass a drug test now? No, no, sir, I can't. (laughs) And he said, okay, then I guess we're done. And he walked right out of the room. 
So now I'm distraught. I have no job. I have nothing. I just walked out of that place like, oh, my God, I can't believe that this bad decision I made so many years ago has now come back to haunt me. And I drove around aimlessly in Chicago not knowing what I was going to do next. And then I got lost, and I happened upon a restaurant that said they were hiring in the window. And I went inside, and I got a job that day. Two weeks later, a guy who would become my best friend for the next 14 years came in and got a job there as well. So basically, because of this bad decision... Everything worked out well, and I got a best friend and a career as a waiter out of it. That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to our storytellers, Oscar Sagastume and Jeff Perica. Also thanks to Josh Callahan, Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. You can like Funny Because It's True on Facebook to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All the past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. While on iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a comment about the show. The more comments help the show grow to a broader audience on iTunes, plus it appeases my staunch desire for approval and acceptance. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on historic and unsettling Hollywood Boulevard. So come out, put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. You have received this transmission from the Comedy Podcast Network. For more shows, visit ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.